0: Welcome to the Purposeful Parent Podcast, a podcast for inspired parents.
1: I'm Melissa. And I'm Kristen. I'm a parent of two little girls and the founder of Inner Architects. I love guiding parents and giving them a space to meaningfully connect, communicate effectively, break cycles, and learn to intentionally parent their kids.
0: I'm an educator, a children's book author, and founder of Language Ninjas. With Language Ninjas and my books on the power of our words, parents and kids are given tools to empower their language.
1: On this podcast, we are highlighting parents and educators who are choosing to mindfully show up differently for kids. Welcome to another episode of the Purposeful Parent Podcast. Today we are excited to chat with Vanessa Braun. Vanessa is a mother to three little girls and has been on her own respectful, purposeful parenting journey for two years now. Vanessa's parenting philosophy has gone through a massive shift in her time being a mother, and we're here to chat about that today. So thank you so much, Vanessa, for being here. We're um, really excited for this conversation. Thank you for having me. Yeah, let's jump right in. Tell us who you are and let's get started on your story.
2: Sure. Um, So yeah, as I mentioned in my bio, I have three girls. So uh, my oldest one is four, my middle is almost three. And then I have an eight month old baby uh, who doesn't sleep. So that's that's always fun. Um, And uh, yeah, and I started off my parenting journey with this real big ideal, right? Like we all have this idea of what parenting is supposed to be before we're there. Um, And mine was like I pictured myself as like this drill sergeant, like, you know, sans the trumpet going off in the morning. Like I just had this idea of like how my life was going to be. It was going to be really regimented. Um, I was going to be the boss. uh, And my kids were just going to happily follow along with that. Mm -hmm. And um, I had this huge moment of clarity when my oldest daughter, she was two and a half at the time. And my young, uh, my middle daughter was about one. So I just had the two of them. And my big one started to bite my middle one. And there had been a few episodes of this biting, and I could feel something inside of me. And I, but I couldn't put words to it. Um, I just remember yelling at my daughter and saying like, you can't bite. I wasn't sure what to do. This was like the first discipline issue that we were coming across. And it felt really big. It felt really massive. And then there was, it came to a point when my two and a half year old bit my one-year-old. And I remember having this urge to just pick her up and throw her across the room. I did not do that, but the rage was so big and it was so massive that I had no idea what to do with it. And I just like ran out of the room and That was basically the beginning of my shift towards non-punitive, you know, intentional parenting. Um, And I started to read. Um, I am an educator by trade, so I'm a teacher. Uh, I haven't taught since my oldest was born, but I I always hit the books whenever something happens in my life. And so I started to read. I found uh, The Montessori Toddler. I found Janet Lansbury. Um, I found Dan Siegel and I just started reading everything that I could um, because I knew I didn't want to throw my daughter. I didn't want to hit her. I didn't want to yell at her. Um, These things just didn't click with me, but there was like a more primitive part of me that just really wanted to do them. Mm
1: -hmm. And
2: I didn't want to do them. So um, it was through my reading that I was able to find like just some um, simple ways to help. Uh, thwart off that rage that was inside me, just as simple as like, like when I ran out of the room, going into the bathroom, um, squeezing my hands, yelling into a pillow, anything that I could do that like wasn't gonna like affect my children. Um, in, the, in that time, though, there were definitely still times where I'd fall back, I'd, you know, I'd pick up my two and a half year old, because the biting continued, I'd pick up my two and a half year old, and I'd like carry her to her room, Um, And I put her in there and I wouldn't know what to do. Um, I knew still then I knew I didn't want her to be in there by herself. But there were moments when I was just like, I can't do this. Um, I need to be like away from you. And I just kept going. And then my sister is a holistic therapist and she is uh, trauma informed. And she does a lot on like um, childhood trauma. And she said she suggested that I go to uh, a therapist. So she found me um, a psychologist and I started working with her Um, and we did a lot of, uh, my therapist is trained in um, internal family systems. So we started doing a lot of work on like what's going on at a deeper level. Um, And it was through that, that I was able to start shifting. There were so many shifts, like the shift that this rage inside me was a bad thing. To this rage inside me is just a neutral thing, and I can just let it be um, the shift from i don't need to hurt my children i don't need to punish my children to help teach them something i don't need to discipline my children to help teach them something and I mean that term discipline in the traditional way that we often talk about it um, I you know and it was through all these like mini shifts that I am here today and we are a household that doesn't use timeouts um there has never been hitting in our house um we try not to yell try i yell i try not to um we apologize all the time because i screw up all the time and yeah that's where we are today
1: I, as a, as a mother myself i i'm I'm with you. <laughs> I feel that I have a seven and four year old and um my journey too is about two two and a half years old, really looking at you know what's coming up for me. Um I didn't think of myself as an angry, rageful person until I had children, and I was like, What is this? um and really looking at where it was coming from, what those triggers were. so kudos to you for digging into this because, um, I've been there too. I, I, you know, I, there was one morning I distinctly remember it and I was like, this is it. This is the moment where if I didn't have the tools or I didn't have the the control that I do, I would take my daughter's head and I would smash it into the, like the, the, um, counter while she was eating breakfast. Like Mm -hmm. this would be the time. And I think that it's really important to own that part of ourselves, right? To really look at the potential for that darkness and know what to do with it, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So kudos to you for really being open and vulnerable enough to admit that because I think a lot of people are like, no, I would never even think about doing that. And Mm -hmm. I've had a number of moments where I'd be like, oh, this would be the time. This Mm -hmm. would be the time where I would shake her or choke her or hit her or like, and thankfully I have the wherewithal and the the tools to be able to not have acted on those things either, but they're present for sure. Yeah.
2: Yes. So, yeah. <laughs> yes. And I, you know, um, it was in those moments of where this rage came up and like you, it was this rage that I had never experienced in my life. Like there was nothing even close. And I mean, that, you know, that saying about children being the mirror into ourselves, like, yes, like it was. And so, you know, and I, I had to, there was a lot of digging and there was a lot of realization, like, so my childhood was like very standard, I, I would say, like, I, um, I have lovely parents, they are, are still married, they've been married for, you know, almost 40 years. Um, I have four siblings. Um, and, you know we just had a standard traditional growing up um i love my parents we're all very close today and you know it took my therapist saying the phrase trauma is both the things that shouldn't have happened that did and the things that should have happened that didn't for me to really realize that I, fall, I fell into that second category. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't necessarily these things that my parents were doing. Like I, you know, I wasn't abused as a child, but it was these things that were lacking in my childhood that were coming up. And it was these things that, these skills that possibly my parents were lacking that were then coming up for me. So um, my dad, he had this really explosive anger um, and I had seen it at, on a number of occasions because my el- my oldest sister um, had she was part of like that troubled youth era mm-hmm. of like the late 90s and early 2000s. I you had know. a
0: brother in that era.
2: <laughs> yes. Sending them off to group homes like, oh, my goodness, to who knows what. Anyways. Um, so, you know, she talked back all the time. And, you know, my dad's response was his like really crazy anger and rage and that's really where I feel where my this rage monster has emerged from. Um, And I don't, you know, I want to make this well known that while I do this work on myself, there's no blame. Um, I've tried to have a few conversations with my mom in particular about this, and I still struggle with how to actually talk about it um, without someone actually being involved in it. But like, Today, I don't hold anything against her. I don't hold anything against my dad. So for those of you who are interested in like diving into their inner self, their inner child, but are scared of like what's going to happen in their present day, I think there's a way that you can do that without it having a huge effect. Like I, I really love my parents and I really feel like what my inner child is lacked or experienced I do not hold that. My adult self does not hold that against them today. Mm-hmm. And it's just working through it. It happened, mm-hmm. it existed. And so now that I have my own children and I want to break those generational cycles, that's where I am. And so I need to go and attack those things. Hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That, um, it, learning to reparent yourself isn't about blaming the people that raise us. It's about learning the areas where we, um, could have used that ourselves. So, and I am not being a parent myself. I, I went through the beginnings of my journey while I was teaching. Um, I imagine like learning that can ha- feel extra impactful when you have, like, you're trying to do it for yourself and then, um, also with the kid, your kids so that you can reparent yourself so that you can give to them the things that you didn't have. Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, that's a a big journey and yeah, a lot of just giving that love without the blame of, I didn't have this. So yeah, it's it's a a big step. It is a brave step.
2: Thank you. Mm -hmm.
1: Let's get into some specifics. So what are some things, some actionable things, tangible things that our listeners are like, if they, I resonate with your story, what are you doing? Um, Yeah. yeah, let's dive into those.
2: So the very first, gosh, the very first thing beyond like trying to just use those like little, um, I don't know, like squeezing your hands when you're angry or like running away when you're angry, like always know that you can leave the room, you know, um, I I always just say like, you can do a quick safety check, you know, obviously you don't want your one-year-old playing with a toaster in the water, but like there are ways that you just do a quick safety check of the room. Chances are it's fine. And you can exit the room. Um, Or if you need to pick up the baby and bring them with you, you can exit. Um, You can put yourself into a room and lock the door. Uh, This has personally, I firmly believe that this has way less, um, uh, like trauma for the child. If you lock yourself away instead of locking them away. So, you know, instead of putting them into their room, closing the door and locking it and them screaming, you go into the bathroom and close the door and lock it and take your minute. And they, they can still be on the other side, but you can do that. Especially if it's a safety issue, especially if you're at the point of I'm going to shake my child or I'm going to hit my child, or I'm going to throw them across the room, go leave. Right. Um, The next thing after that was, um, and I don't, honestly, it might have even have been like a targeted ad on Facebook, but I came across noise reducing earbuds. So they're not, uh, they're not music based by any means. They're just uh, an earbud that you pop in and it literally turns the volume down of your life. And in addition to turning the volume down, so I can still have a, if someone was standing in front of me, I could still have a full conversation with them. Um, but it just all the screaming and all the noise, it just brings it down about five levels, mm-hmm. and those were vital in at the beginning. And I remember when I first popped them in, there's a little bit of um, you can like hear your own breathing more. You can hear like the noises that your mouth or your throat makes more, just because you have them in. And at first, it might be a little off putting, but then all of a sudden, it gave me the opportunity to focus on my breathing like I could actually hear myself breathing. And I was like, Oh, like this is useful. So if my kids are, and sometimes it wasn't like fighting at this point, it was just them like screaming, like they might be playing and they're just yelling or they're just loud. And all of a sudden I'm feeling like triggered and I'm like starting to like come into myself and kind of start to freak out and I could just pop them in, keep doing the dishes. And I could hear myself breathing. Um And you know, if something had happened, if there was like a safety issue came up, I would know, I would hear it. So it's not, it's not noise cancellation. It's just reduction, which is really important. I think as parents, we don't want to just cancel out the noise as much as we would like to once in a while. (laughs) So that was like a huge part of the beginning. I was really worried that I was going to become reliant on them. Like I was like, oh my gosh, I'm just going to have to like wear them all the time. Like what's going to happen? Um, And that did not happen. So it seemed like As I journeyed more with my therapist, as I journeyed more on my own with through my own reading and like diving in more into my philosophy as a parent, it became pretty clear that I could take them out more. And I didn't need to have them in more until, you know, all of a sudden, I went for a full day without them. And I was like, Oh, I didn't need them anymore. Um, Since that time. So yeah, that was about two years ago. So since that time of using those, I have had like moments in my life where I need them again. So when my two oldest ones discovered that they could, or I guess my, when my middle one discovered that she could say no to the big one, that, uh, that was a phase where we needed to reintroduce them because they started to fight. And then, um, uh, there have just been other, other times when I just felt like I've needed them again, but it hasn't been this consistent thing. Like, don't get worried that you'll become completely reliant on them because they are such a great tool to have that you can just revisit again and again.
0: And it sounds like, um, it's a good tool for helping downregulate the nervous system because the, your nervous system sounds like it was pretty high and to be able to reduce that noise and focus on your breathing helped you to start down-regulating. So yeah, now I'm, I get, I'm guessing your nervous system is feeling regulated a lot more often too. So that helps with the stepping away. So helpful tools. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
2: So it was like, I mean, uh, I love that you start talking about the nervous system because it was like, as I, so my window of tolerance started out Mm -hmm. really tiny. And then, so I was always flying out of that. And then, so what the earbuds did was they allowed me to stay in my window of tolerance more often. And then I, then I started doing the work and my window of tolerance started to grow. Mm-hmm. So it was just the co- the two tools. I really don't think that I could have done what I have done and what I continue to do, because this journey is not over, what I continue to do without the headphones. And I never viewed myself prior to parenting. I never viewed myself as like an auditorial, like, like overload kind of person. I just, you know, I liked loud music and I, would go to big events and there'd be lots of noise and I'd have no issues. It wasn't until I had kids. Yeah. I'm, I, it's so interesting. Um, and I'd love
1: to like pull moms everywhere because I I'm in the same boat. Um, and I think it's just an overstimulation in general, right? Like it's the constant mom, 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 you know, tugging on your clothes, asking, you know, just being around them. Cause I, I homeschool my kids and I'm home with them pretty much all day by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, I, I've never used noise canceling headphones. I, I wonder if it would have been helpful. I'm sure it would have been um, earlier on in my journey, but really looking at the the correlation between like space and time and self-care and this overstimulation and being able to have the space and the time and the tool, like working on the tools to regulate yourself outside of the parenting and then being able to come back to the situations and then implementing them, um, I've noticed has been, you know, paramount for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. And I think that like, I I love that you brought in self-care because I think in our society today, we get wrapped up in what self-care is and it sounds really egotistical and really like selfish, but in fact, self-care is, really the opposite. Because if you have um, a parent who is not utilizing self-care to some extent, burnout is real, and it only affects your kids. Um, I think that my, this is actually just a thought that I ha- I'm having right now. But when I think of my mom, so she raised five of us kids. Um, we re- lived out on a farm. She was fairly isolated. Um, the, you know, the farm was like her life. Uh, and us kids were. And I just feel like maybe there was some burnout there. You know, like it was just she was with us all the time. And my dad, he was the breadwinner, he worked really long days. Um, You know, we were low middle, like, income level. Um, So he worked really hard for what we had. And it was my mom who took the brunt of it from us. Right. Mm -hmm. So I just wonder, like, and later on she, i would say that she did like once we were much older she would do things more for herself but oh my goodness i'm sure she would say like it was like that martyrdom right and kind of like that martyrdom of mothers is so valued and especially when my mom was raising us in the 80s 90s and early 2000s like that that martyrdom was just seen as like here's your here's your trophy for martyring yourself When it's like, no, 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 there's another way to do this. Like, Mm -hmm. we need to take care of ourselves. And we need to, whether it's diving into what your parenting philosophy looks like, like myself, because I really enjoy doing that. Or if it's just taking the time away and moving, out, like being away from your children for a short period of time. All of these things, like, can help our children flourish more. And it's not about being selfish.
1: Yeah. I, um, what you said about trauma earlier, uh, I'm, I'm going to go back and tell talk to my parents about that because on my journey, I'm in the same boat. I have had a wonderful childhood. It was pretty standard. I have two siblings. My parents are still together. Like our stories are very similar. Um, and talking about trauma I have my husband, Childhood was the opposite of that. there was abuse, there was neglect, there was all of these things, and so when we dove into the work that we've been doing, my parents were very like, Oh yeah, your husband Chad, like this work is perfect for him. We're so excited for him to dive into it, and what's wrong with you? You know like it was this so dichotomic like response to what we were doing, and I'm like, it's not about what's wrong with me? You know, my mom's like, what are you digging for? What are you trying to figure out? Like, what was so bad about your childhood? And I'm like, not, there wasn't any of these big, huge, big T trauma things. It's, it's maybe the things that didn't happen. It's maybe the, the things that were layered on and they're not, it's not all from my parents. I'm 38. Like they came, those chains, those things came from many different experiences. (laughs) Um, but really looking at, you know, how that's, correlated to me as a person and me as a parent and the martyrdom too, I, I saw that. And, and I've stepped into that with also this like need for perfection. So how do I take care of others, never take care of myself, but always expect myself to show up as this perfect parent. And then when I don't, I'm completely disappointed that I yelled at my kids. So it's like there's um, a Just that's just something personally I've been unraveling for the last two years.
2: Yeah, and I think that like that bit about the trauma, the things that should have happened that didn't, they're so much harder to pinpoint. Mm -hmm. So when you know, like when me and my therapist were trying to work through and like really dig into and like bring up the past, it's difficult because there aren't there aren't always tangible memories versus someone who like had things that happened to them that shouldn't have. Um, Those are tangible memories and often accessible at some point. I know some people like repress them, but they're often accessible eventually. Whereas, you know, when we were digging into it, I was so myself as a child, I was in my family of uh, with my four siblings. I was the golden child. Um, I was, you know, really, really academically inclined. Um, I spoke early. I, I love to read and I love to do math and Um, I was also really little. So it like added to everything. Like I was very petite for my age. So it was even like, Oh my gosh, like she's so small and she's doing all of these things. I even, you know, I was walking at nine months, even like it was all of these, like where, and I'm just like, okay, like your kid walked at nine months. Like you did nothing to have that happen, but here it is. Um, And so I, I totally get that like perfectionist side. And so when we like dove in, when I was talking to my, to my therapist, I couldn't be like, okay, that's this one time when this happened, it's just like this overarching theme or these themes of my childhood that are much more difficult to put into words. And that's where like the emotion side comes in because, Mm -hmm. um, and especially for like pre-verbal trauma, there's a lot of work with like how, so pre-verbal trauma as it is, is you are unable to put it into words. So it's working through pre trauma with the emotions that you have and moving it through your body. So somewhat similar to my experience of like these overarching themes of my childhood where I couldn't say this is a particular time when this happened. Instead, it was like, I'm getting this feeling somewhere here and it's really affecting me. And so we'd work through it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I say, like, I, I really do. I mean, those traumas that you know, the, the should have happens that didn't, those are really difficult to, to find and to dig into, I think. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. I was a third of four and sometimes I'm like, we talk about all this parent stuff, but what about the sibling stuff? Like (laughs) you watch your older siblings get all the attention you needed because they were acting out versus I was over here being the good, happy kid. Like you be the happy one. Um, and yes, it's like there there's things that come up just because of having other people around you too, which um we were talking about before we started as well, like doing this work with multiple children and not just having one child too. So um you having been in that position of having multiple kids and now you have or being one of multiple kids, and now you have three of your own too. Um how how is that with trying to meet the needs for all three of the kids in their unique ways while they also like one might need attention and the other one needs less attention so you like figuring out who needs more and when how's that been and what have you noticed along the way with that
2: yeah so um actually something came a situation has arisen in the past few days in our house um my my middle one has started to scream and she'll just scream something like usually out of anger, but she'll just, I mean, you never know when a two-year-old's angry. So it's, <laughs> it just, it just comes and it's very loud. My oldest one went through a similar thing, Um but my, you know, when my oldest one did it, we had a set, we would just um, remove her from you know, if, if it was at the dinner table, which it often was, we would remove her and we'd show her, okay, you can scream in your bedroom and you can scream outside, but we're not going to scream at the dinner table. So we'd, we'd remove her and take her into one of those places. Um, and it was fine. And, and that was our reaction. That was it. There was no like you know we didn't get angry we didn't freak out because we knew that with like that negative attention cycle that it was just going to get worse so we were like we're just going to remove you we're going to show you where you're allowed to do these things and it's done you know the phase it was a phase it came and Mm -hmm. it went now with my my middle one so my middle one will do it and then my big one will freak out and then my little one will do it again Because there's the reaction. Mm -hmm. And so now all of a sudden we're like in this space of like, what are we doing? Like, like this is, so we're still trying like not to freak out, but then we start freaking out because the big one's freaking out. And then the little one is like, Ooh, I can keep screaming because I'm getting these giant reactions. Um, So it has been a very interesting and turbulent few days with this screaming phase that we're going through. We're really just trying to be like diligent with like still taking our middle one and doing the same thing that we did with the big one, but I will tell you the dynamic has changed because now all of a sudden, sure, we have, you know, in my case, me and my husband are totally on the same page when it comes to parenting, which I'm really grateful for, uh, because I know just speaking through friends and clients, like there are situations where that is not the case, Um, but, you know, we're on the same page, which has been great but now we have like this third person, my older daughter, who is not on the same page as we are. And mm-hmm. so when my middle daughter does something, she explodes. And then uh, the middle one get just gets the reaction that she wants. So we know that like a big key in all of this is modeling. So, you know, my big one, she freaks out um, right now with the screaming. And if the screaming, if this continues to be an issue we might end up getting some noise reducing headphones for my big one. Mm. And so if she hears the screaming, then she can just go and take headphones and just pop them in um, and see, you know, seeing that I do that same thing. And it would be a conversation like, you know, mom has her headphones that she puts in once in a while when, you know, the world is too loud. So I want to give you some, because I know that sometimes the world is too loud for you. So Mm. I think that the, with having multiples, Um, it is definitely like a whole new world. And it it changed, like there's so many other factors that all of a sudden come into your respectful or intentional parenting plan. Uh, But I still think that it's possible. Mm -hmm. And I think the starting point of it is modeling. Mm -hmm. Like that is, it's so vital that we model um, our parenting. And the other aspect is really, really digging into what your philosophy actually is. Um, I think that there are many people who, and it was me too at the beginning. So I came into intentional and respectful parenting with the idea of, okay, um, simply how do I get my kids' tantrums to stop? So, you know, all of a sudden, respectful, intentional, gentle parenting, they all promised that the tantrums would stop. And so I was like, oh, like, what are they doing then if, if they're going to stop? And if you're going in with that, like, min- you still want to manipulate your children. Um, and if you're still in that mindset, I would encourage you to, like, shift. Because now the shift happened where, as a, for going to the tantrum example again, I, the tantrum happens. I see it as just a way that my child needs to release emotions that they have whether it's from the day, whether it's from that moment, I see it as a healthy and normal part of their development. I do not have any, I, I, I don't um, exit my window of tolerance when any of my children tantrum anymore. It's just, it just happens. I don't care where we are. If we're in the grocery store, I don't feel that embarrassment piece anymore. Uh, there's, so there's been all those shifts and there's no more need for me to manipulate my child. And so, and then as a result, My kid gets everything out that they need to in a much quicker time and we move on and we have fewer of them. So it all of a sudden shifted from being like my main focal point was to stop the tantrum to all of a sudden the tantrum stopping or being less frequent is just a side effect of my overall philosophy. And I think that that's like really vital for parents because I see, you know, so much on Facebook and so much on Instagram, um, just in comment sections, um, someone saying, I'm, I'm trying to potty train my kid. What can I do? And someone coming in and saying, well, I really like the respectful or gentle parenting approach, but in this case, I do use a sticker chart and I'm like, well, that doesn't really make sense. That doesn't make sense for respectful parenting for you to go in and and use a sticker chart. So it's like, no, you're still just trying to manipulate the situation. Mm. And so moving away from trying to manipulate our children is so important. And knowing that I can only control myself. I cannot control my children. I cannot control their reactions. I cannot control their emotions. And both their reactions and emotions are just neutral. And sometimes their reactions when they're really big or they hurt somebody that's when we step in and we teach and we guide and we model what we want, but these mm-hmm. things don't happen overnight.
0: So tantrums, those are big. Um, what, what does that look like with you letting it happen? So are you, do you try making connection with them or it, is it like that's happening? I'm going to let them feel what they need to feel. And then um, we'll move on from there. Cause that is a big one. Like parents face those tantrums and are usually like, what do I do about this? So yeah, what does it look like when you're
2: allowing them? Yeah. So when I started, it felt um, really exhausting Mm -hmm. because I had this notion that I needed to be there every moment of the tantrum, um, or I needed to be really present with my child every moment that it was happening. So um, let's take a really common example of the tantrum right before supper. So mom is cooking supper and, you know, the two, one, two, three-year-old comes in and is hangry and they want a snack. And the conversation is, we're going to be having supper soon. You cannot have a snack right now. And then the tantrum ensues. And it's Mm -hmm. usually really big. It's the end of the day. They're, like I said, they're hangry. um, So it's often a big one. Before it would be like, I drop everything. I go down to their level. I'd spend, you know, all those minutes there um really trying to connect with them and uh validating how they're feeling, oh like you're really frustrated that you can't eat right now. I'm sorry. That's really hard. Um you're feeling all of, you know, these big feelings and you're expressing them and I you know, I'd be talking them through it and meanwhile supper is not being cooked. So this is only prolonging them getting what they need because they in that moment they need food. And And so it wasn't until I was listening to Janet, one of Janet Lansbury's podcasts where she talks about um, letting meltdowns and tantrums be like a passive experience from a parenting perspective. And I think this is like super important because we want to make space and we want to make sure that our children are allowed to express these feelings, but we also want to let them know that they're not the end all be all. And if I'm, At the beck and call of my every single one of my child's tantrums or meltdowns, I'm actually saying that these are really big, scary things, and you need to make sure that I'm with you. As opposed to, this is a feeling that's moving through your body. Let's let it move through you and out. Mm -hmm. And so now, so same situation, the tantrum before supper. Now I'm going to make sure that I validate and I say like, oh gosh, you're really hungry right now. I'm so sorry. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna try and get supper done as soon as we can. And then I'm going to go back to making supper and I'm going to let my child do their thing there. Maybe I pop in my noise reducing headphones because maybe it's really it's really triggering. Um, but I don't move. I, I don't say go and do this in your bedroom. I don't say you have to like leave the room. Um, I just let them kind of fall apart around me. And if they make an expression, mom, like I need a hug, 100 percent in there. But it doesn't need to be like this active, like me trying to help them move through. I think that they, we don't give our children, our toddlers, our babies enough credit that they have the capacity to, to do this. We just need to make the space for it. Um, That's not saying that. So that's just one example. But I would definitely say that throughout the day, I I make the call as to whether or not something requires my attention or something doesn't. Um, so another example is when, um, you know, my kid, the, usually the big one, she hits my middle one and I might go and, uh, my big one is like, I can see her. She's just like buzzing. And so I make sure that the little one's okay. And then I go over to the big one and she just all of a sudden melts into this giant puddle and she starts freaking out. And it's clear that it's not about the hit. It's not about there's something bigger going on. Then we can spend that time. Um, to dive into that. But I I make those calls, I make those calls as to whether or not this is like, you're just hungry. And, you know, I'm going to make sure that supper is available to us. And no, 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 like, let's talk about your, you know, oh, you're feeling sad because Christmas is over. Oh, like, I'm really sorry. Like, I I can sit here and I I can be with you while you experience that. Mm.
1: I think that's beautiful. That really, that really hit for me. My kids are a little older, but I I still experience tantrums with our four-year-old, you know, she will still get to that point. And I have very much, you know, just listening to you have very much tried to, I don't know if control or just like, make sure that I'm hovering, make sure that I am there and, and experiencing with them. And that can be a lot, as a parent, it can be a lot to sit there and go through that. And, and it oftentimes I find myself like rushing them through it because I want it to be done. Right. Mm -hmm. So I love that. And I think that that's really valuable for our listeners and for myself included, to be able to sit back and, and say, you know, validate, make sure you're safe and
2: then just hold that space for you to lose your shit. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And it's so, you know, and I just think like, It's part of like that, which in our household is important, that independence piece, like allowing them the freedom of that expression without the need of like a parent or another caregiver being there right in their face. And I found, you know, I also found that I sometimes over talk, like I'd be sitting there and they'd be losing it. And I'm like trying to talk, like I'm talking them through it. And then, you know, all of a sudden I'm thinking like, okay, their prefrontal cortex is totally shut off. So like, what, like, why, like, why am I trying to, oh, because I'm feeling like it's about me. It's about me wanting it to be over. And then again, that takes me back to, oh, I'm actually now my three-year-old self who wasn't allowed to have those feelings, who was told to suck it up, who was told it was, it's okay, who was told to go and do it in my bedroom. Now I've shifted into that persona and this is why I want it to be over. So it's like that. It's like that dual. I'm turning into my three year old self, and I'm turning into my mother. <laughs> it's like <laughs> the exact same time, and so I'm trying to like parent the way maybe my mom did, and then I'm also experiencing all the feelings of my three year old self while my three year old is on the floor. Mm. And so it's like you know, come down, and um, as I'm saying, you're really frustrated right now. I'm saying that both to my three year old in front of me, and the three year old inside of me. Mm-hmm. And I'm letting them both know that I'm here for them, and that it's okay to experience what they experience. So if I am getting those feelings, I think that this is actually like a super vital part um, of uh, this reparenting is that the same way that we validate and we allow our children to express their feelings, we need to do the same. So when I'm in that moment, if we go to the tantrum, and I'm telling my daughter, yeah, like, it's okay to feel frustrated, and I'm feeling myself exit the window of tolerance, it's not my goal to try and push myself back into the window of tolerance. It's my, I am supposed to embody those feelings as well. So I usually sit with them. So my first question that I always ask in my head is, where is this? Um, I often hold these, like the core of these emotions are usually like, I have three areas, my throat, my chest, and like the pit of my stomach. And so I ask where those are. And that's kind of my first step into embodying those feelings and allowing them to move through. Mm -hmm. I'm not just supposed to push them down because if we're teaching our kids to feel and to, you know, make, make all of our emotions neutral, and then we're not doing the same thing, well, we're not modeling at all. And Modeling is the most powerful teaching tool we have, so at the end of the day, they're not gonna learn anything. Hmm.
0: that is um like I think that's the heart of it all is right there is like, oh, you are noticing with you like this is where I'm feeling it, this is what I'm feeling, and you're allowing yourself to feel that and telling yourself it's okay to feel that. um I think that's a piece that um. It somewhat gets glossed over in these conversations not because uh, not purposefully, but just because it's something you don't think about like, oh yeah, you gotta I'm parenting my child and uh, I'm I'm also reparenting myself, but we don't tend to think about what that looks like, which is you are like you said, you're feeling your mom come out and you're feeling your three-year-old come out. And it's almost like a battle of the two as well. Like I'm me, but I'm acting, I'm feeling my my mom's reactions <laughs> and wanting to act like that. And I'm also feeling what my three-year-old needs right now. So how do I like show up for that? Um, so yeah, I love that you said that because I do think that it doesn't get talked about enough that in the midst of all of these things... That there is a battle um, within yourself as well. And then allowing yourself to feel that so that your kids can learn how to fully express and feel their emotions. So thank you for saying that because yeah, that's a big piece. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. And just that Mm self-compassion, like, oh my goodness. I think I was Oh, just especially coming from that like same mindset as Melissa with the like that perfectionist tendencies um, and growing up with those um, and not having that sort of self-compassion. It probably took me at least into the first year or maybe a bit more to realize like, whoa, like nothing is going to change if I don't give myself grace when I feel what I feel because feelings are totally irrational and they just happen. So I just need to allow them space to happen. And then in the moments when my reactions are a result of those really big emotions, I, you know, need to recognize that um, I, you know, I'm saying sorry to my children and then I need to forgive myself too. Because they're going to do it. Right. Because kids will always forgive you. And it's just also remembering that you need to forgive yourself.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, as we wrap up here, is there anything we have not touched on that you would like to, or you want to make sure that we get out there?
2: Um, no, I just... Uh, I guess just the last little bit is I've like moved into a bit of like, um, I've started kind of coaching, consulting with some other parents. Um, My sister is a therapist and she's like been sending me some of her clients. Uh, I'm not really big into it yet uh, because I have an eight month baby um, and then my two big girls too. Uh, But I would like to pursue it more eventually. But I just, what I want to say about it is You know, for people who are on this journey, um, your opinion is like vital uh, for other friends or family members who are starting to look at like shifting their parenting or are trying to, are just, you know, a few steps behind you in their journey. And I think that just always giving um, your opinion from like your, like an intentional, respectful parenting philosophy is huge. And it just... It sets in motion the ability for people to start thinking differently. Um, And it doesn't need to be this big, loud, judgmental conversation where you say, I can't believe you would do that. Don't do that. It can be really quiet. It can be in the form of modeling, like we know um, is a huge teacher, but it can be also when, you know, a friend of yours is like, I don't know what to do here. And you might say like, "Hmm, I might have an idea or two that's kind of where I started, um, before I actually started to do it, um, semi-professionally as it were. And just as I get more into it, I think that we, you know, those of us who do follow these, um, intentional, respectful parenting mantras, I think that we have a lot to give to people who don't. Mm. And I think that we can do that, um, we talked to before the podcast started, we were talking a bit about Mr. Chaz um, and he's just a phenomenal role model mm-hmm. um, for any of us. I think whether you respectful parent or don't um, and he does it in such a brilliant way that's so nonjudgmental and um, you know, we just need our voice to be out in the world because it really affects change. So, yeah.
1: Beautiful, and you're doing it. You're you're leading the way for those that are that are watching. So, and your, you your your Instagram is awesome too. You're on there um, talking about a lot of this stuff too. So, tell us where people can find you and, and follow you there.
2: Sure. Uh, yeah. So I have Instagram. It's uh, Connect First Parenting, um, and. Yeah, I just do reels and uh, throw up a few posts here and there. It is not consistent yet. I have a dream, a dream one day <laughs> where it will be much more consistent. But uh, right now, it's basically my thoughts as they roll through the day. Um, so, yeah, I hope that maybe some people find some of the information useful. And you can always drop me a line to through like my DMs. Um, my, the clients that I do work with, they are uh, all through like online, it's all zoom. Um, I really don't have the time to meet people in person. So zoom is just the best thing. And so I have kind of people all over. um, Like I don't, I actually haven't worked with anyone in my city. So they're all outside um, of the city. So yeah, so you can always feel free to message me there. And maybe I can help you out. But yeah.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. This is a a beautiful conversation. I think there's a lot of awesome nuggets that people are going to get out of
2: it. So yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate you guys reaching out and a special shout out to Val for uh, getting us together. Thank you for
0: listening to the Purposeful Parent Podcast. We had a really great time talking with our guests today and hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as we did. Make sure to check out the show notes to get more information on today's guests and to check out what they are up to. To learn more about Melissa and Kristen, follow The Purposeful Parent on Instagram. You can also check out what Melissa is up to by following Inner Architect on Instagram. And to keep up with Kristen, follow Language Ninjas on Instagram. We'd love to hear how you are choosing to purposefully parent, so please feel free Feel free to reach out and say hi.